Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to the Crash MotoGP podcast. On the show today, we've got some more 2023 livery reveals. It's all very exciting, but testing back again this weekend finally bikes back on track and keith has got some things to say later on uh, we've also got your questions to answer too so remember if you want to send us a question you can voice note us do it on your phone or you can email us at podcast at crash.net along with your name and where you're from keep it to around 30 seconds and we'll get you on the show you can also just sort of write your question as well if you don't want your voice played out um, okay, the recording date is Wednesday, the 8th of March. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as always is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former MotoGP rider and Grand Prix winner, Keith Hewen. Um Winner! winner. <laughs> I'd love I've to be a Grand said- Prix what? winner, Harry. <laughs> You've, ele- you've elevated me. I can't believe I've <laughs> done that same. Cor- I'm surprised you corrected me. It's a dream come <laughs> <Yeah>. true. <laughs> and then oh, I woke you're up. I'm going to let that roll, Keith. That's fine. Yeah. I've done that same intro for 79 You, you carry shows. on, Harry. I'm happy with that. <laughs> and world champion rider, uh, Keith Hewitt, on the show. Uh, can't bl- how have I messed that up after 79 goes at that? It's uh, brilliant. It's- that'll, be, that'll be on the outtakes. That'll be on Keith's Keith. antiphone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Keith Ewing. You know who he is. Uh, right, we'll, let, we'll come to Keith in a minute. He's at his glory. Uh, Pete, come on then. Let's see off these these livery reveals. Uh, LCR, um, weird seeing Rins in some different colours um, from the Suzuki. Nakagami is well revealed. And VR46 plus Gas Gas. So it really is ramping up now ahead of, ahead of the test this weekend. That's right, Harry. Yeah, and, and, and you, you call it right by livery reveal. That's really all that we've said it before goes <laughs> on with these launches these days. It's just what the bikes are going to look like. Um, you can't really judge anything from, you know, some people look at them and go, oh, they've got that part the same, that part different, but it's just really to show the colours and, and it's something for the sponsors, isn't it? Um, as you say, Rin Suzuki rider for his whole career in MotoGP until now, so a bit of a change for him taking on the bike that Cal Crutchlow won races with. That was the last time that LCR um, took victories with, was with Cal back uh, 2018, I think was his last one, wasn't it? Um, Rins takes over there from Alex Marquez. Nakagami, on the other hand, I think it's his sixth, sixth year um, he's on the Idemitsu-backed bike. So, yeah, very familiar livery for, for him on that side of the garage. But, uh, yeah, he's got to sort of reverse his fortunes, isn't he? He, he had sort of his first three years in MotoGP, he was on the up. And then the last two years, he's sort of gone down again. So it's a, a big year for him. We know pressure for Mayagura last year. So, you know, he's got, to, he's got to deliver this year if he wants to keep hold of that race seat, at least. Um, over at Gas Gas, as you say, I guess that's the biggest news, isn't it? It's uh, whether you call it a new manufacturer or not, isn't it, is, is the thing. It's new branding, but the bike is, is of course, a KTM. 
And for people that might say, well, what's the difference here? Uh, if, it, if it was, a, let's say, a completely new manufacturer or, or a full new manufacturer in terms of the rules, they'd have technical, technical concessions. They don't because it is a KTM and it's branded as a gas gas. So that's really the distinction. But it does mean there's going to be two more red bikes on the grid, not just the factory Ducatis. It's a very similar red, very clean looking. Um, you know, you might say, well, that's because there's not too many other sponsors on there. But um, yeah, certainly a, a clean, distinctive look for Pole, who's back with Tectoir. He began his MotoGP career with and back with KTM under another name. Quite funny at the Sepang test, he was being picked up. He, he didn't quite know what to call you know, whether to call them KTMs or anything else. And in the end, it, it was Pira Mobility Group is apparently what he should call <laughs> the collection of KTMs and gas gas bikes. So it doesn't quite slip off the tongue as easy as KTM, mm. but there we are. <laughs> and then VR46, a bit like LCR, really minor tweaking to the livery. Uh, you know, it's got more black on it, basically. The riders, uh, you know, yeah, both of them like black bikes. But as always, the fastest bike is, looks the best, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I don't think they're very bold, are they? And they're, they're, you know, it's very corporate nowadays. I mean, again, I, I, I hasten to say this and almost hate myself for it because it, it, it does show my age. But I did love big, bold numbers, you know, helmets that didn't change that much. We seem to have well, gone into your that job easier, situation. It? Where you, <laughs> well, it's easier from a commentary point of view well, as well. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people that tune in to MotoGP, to anything. I, I've been watching a lot of telly this weekend. We'll get there in a minute. And the... the you know, when you are listening to commentators, they're not mentioning numbers. They almost expect you to know who they are that they're talking about. And when you've got a wide shot of six, ten bikes, that's the other thing with bike racing, of course, you've got a lot of bikes in shot. So you want to know what number's who, what colour, who's who, and things change in the way they do. So I think that it's not really encouraging newer viewers to really understand what's going on out on the, on the, on the track, on television. Um, it's fine for all of us because we know everybody just by their shadow. But it's kind of for, 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 for people that are new to the sport, and bearing in mind we want to engage with as many people as we can, big, bold numbers and commentators that give you a bit more information. I mean, I always re used to remember a fellow called Martin Turner who was, who was a fantastic BAFTA-winning producer. Uh, we all know him. And uh, Martin Turner used to say, numbers, colours. He'd be shouting in my ear roll all the way through it. And, well, I know who they are. Why don't everyone else? No, that's not the attitude. The point is we're trying to engage new viewers and to get them to understand who's who and, and who's making the passes when sometimes it's a bit of a blur when you're watching it on TV. Again, bike racing, blimey, you can have 10 changes of, of position in one lap easily. I, That's his Moto3 and you can triple it. Oh, yeah, literally. <laughs> I, I, I had to do um, a British GT round last year. Never done it before. Dropped into the finale. And uh, the producer loved me, though, because I was doing all of that. But the only reason I was doing it is because I didn't have any idea who they were. So I had to do it for myself. And I went, That's him. He's number seven in the purple, white and brown bmw and then just hoping yeah, who, yeah but who watches gt3 at yeah. the end of the day if i'd turned that on and you hadn't been commentating i would have watched it if it had been good racing because i'm a petrol yeah, yeah. at the end of the day but not understanding who was out there and what car they was in would have been bloody yeah. annoying to be frank with you and so i wonder how, how much of a missed opportunity for something very simple like a producer mm. um bearing in mind i was quite lucky again back in the day i had martin turner and one or two others who were brilliant producers who wouldn't let you get away with making those kind of faux pas, really. Um, I, I think it goes down, and we're getting close to the rant that I want to have in a minute about television. Um, it goes down to the fact that production is not what it used to be in TV. There, there aren't the numbers of, of people back behind the scenes now that are, are really banging the drum to make it better. Dorna do a great job, but then it gets farmed out, obviously, to, to other production companies to... to 
um, put that out in their particular regions for, for broadcasters in those places. But there you go. On livery, I think big numbers and a bit more effort by commentators. <laughs> well, go on. We're there. We may as well. Keith. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, how, how many people have watched the World Superbikes at the weekend from, uh, from, from Indonesia? I mean, if you didn't, then then shame on you because it's the, it's around the World Superbikes. We're expecting great things from World Superbikes this year. I was so disappointed with the television coverage. And it got me thinking about why is this happening? What's happening here? I know that everybody's working for half price now. I mean, quite amusingly, Talent Pete and myself are considered in the interest industry to be called talent i think you called me talent there in, in my in my case they missed out less on the end yeah but thank I, think, you. I think you just said talent pete and myself and <laughs> not my name well, there you go. A, i only i but, only respond to talent that, that just proves yeah. the point that just proves the point i've got no talent but anyway the the presenters and the commentators and the people you you, you know the, the the front of house if you like of a broadcast are considered to be talent um they're all on a bit less money now because the, the the cost of talent is coming down but the cost of other things are all going up, transportation, hotels, all that kind of stuff as well. So television companies and production companies are all looking to try and dumb it down a little bit, if you like. And it'll be interesting to see where BT go now that they've obviously been taken over as well by the conglomerate that is Liberty Media. And it, it just at the weekend, we were missing Charlie Iscott wasn't there in part Ferme on the grid. Man, I miss that bloke so much in this week. I didn't, I mean... Charlie, I know Charlie quite well, and, and he can be an aggravating, horrible little sod. But the fact of the matter is he's very good at what he does, and he gets the best out of the riders. No disrespect to the guy that had obviously been thrown in at part Ferme, an Englishman, you know, I don't even know who it was. But he, he was asking the good old standard questions, and we all just went, oh, for God's sake, why don't we have Charlie back? And we miss him. I, and I think that television companies are beginning to shortchange us a little bit. It's costing us much more money to have this stuff now on subscription. We've got, I mentioned Liberty Media. Liberty Media, the owners of Formula One and, and just about everybody else now, Discovery, Eurosport, uh, North One, who are part of the All Three Media, which is 40 companies. Uh, All Three Media is massive. And North One, who produced the BT Sport coverage of MotoGP, it's just a small cog in the wheel. All these companies' budgets are shrinking and they're looking to reel back on people. At the same time, they're coming under pressure for the, the diversification thing where they've got to have certain females, certain this, that, and the other in place to suit the modern day um, ethics, if you like. Um, but all the time, we seem to be getting a little bit less um, than we had. Now, it remains to be seen at BT Sport. I know that Susie Perry isn't going out to some of the rounds this coming year. There'll be a cost factor to that. There'll be a travel factor to that. We've got more uh, racism than we've ever had. We just had Amy Dargan, now Reynolds, she got married, I think, three years ago, had a baby last year. Now, you'll know Amy, long blonde hair, very petite girl, very good at what she does. She works for Dorna. Um, somehow, she's been edged out of the equation there as well. I mean, she's just had a baby, as I say, so 21 rounds. She wanted to do a little less this year, but there's been no dispensation, it seems, made for her as a new mother, which which is completely wrong. I don't know the ins and outs of it, and I don't want to get into it politically, but... Obviously, there's a situation there that probably shouldn't have been a situation there, and they haven't been out and negotiate their way around it. So we're going to be missing Amy as well during the course of the year. It just strikes me at the moment that we're getting less for television. I don't know about you, but I've just had a, a, a my Virgin Media bill is just about to go up by £49. That is not a small amount a month for no extra. 
you know, okay, I might have been getting it. I've negotiated it to be fairly cheap in the first place. But the fact is, is that, that it's about to go up by nearly 50 quid in one hit. I'm assuming that that's across the board. Everybody is going to be getting big hits regarding their sports coverage and the like. TNT is now the overriding BT Sport, Eurosport and American Sport um, umbrella. TNT, Eurosport will go, BT Sport will go as titles. It will be called TNT in the future. Um, it ain't going to get no cheaper. You can be fairly sure of that. The only good thing is that maybe a TNT package will bring in BT Sport and Eurosport under one revenue stream, perhaps. But it ain't going to be cheaper. There's no way it's going to be cheaper. So I'm just wondering, and this is where the, the crash you know, viewers and listeners can help us out a bit here. I mean, how do you view it? How do you view your television package? Has it got better or has it got worse over the years? BT Sport, I think, has been consistently good. I'm not bringing them into it. But I think it will be interesting to see how this year goes with the fact that some of the commentators, some of the presenters won't be travelling to the track. And that, for me, I've always thought that you need to be on site. You need to be getting that first-hand information from trackside. Pete's there all the time bringing it for crash. You know, all these guys... Actually, thinking about that, that's another thread that we can go down, Pete. Um, you finally, Dorna have finally recognised digital media. They've actually finally, um, bearing in mind this is an old bugbear that you will have heard quite often, you know, the likes of David Emmett, if you if you go into motormatters.com and listen to or read his rant about this as well, Pete has struggled over the years because he is digital media. Digital media has always been really considered to be a lower class citizen in the um, journalistic world. And we know that's not to be true because of the likes of Pete who bring us brilliant, brilliant stuff. And you can trust what he says. There's more smoke blown up. Than <laughs> All right. But it, but it's the truth. It is the truth. I'm not, I'm not just saying it because you sat in front of us. The fact is there are some journalists that you can trust with what they say. There are others. And I won't mention the name. But um, we all know. Particularly whose who's all opinion and it can't be trusted. It's it's something that you, you, you kind of look at it and you think, well, I better go and check with some other journal to see whether that is right. And nine times out of ten, it turns out to be not right. Um, there are journalists that, that repeat press releases, which, you know, kind of negates their their worth or their uselessness. You know, they're a waste of air if that's all they do. Um, so the, the proper journals, even the digital media one, should be valued. And at last, it seems that Dorna are going to look after you guys, which, um, uh-huh, hooray. Where would you like to pick up on, Ari, on any of that rant? Just ask me a question. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder, obviously we come at it from a, obviously a MotoGP and a broad, motorsport broadcasting uh, scenario, but I wonder if this is all just part of a wider issue. You know, we're seeing prices go up left, right and centre for absolutely everything, not just, you know, television costs. But, you know, even entertainment, you look at stuff like Netflix and things like this, and, and they're, they're going to stop be, you being able to share um profile so they're going to make sure you all have to pay individually even if you're i'm a big family so we all share one which means i don't have to pay out the netflix but i will have to because um they're going to stop that kind of thing so it adds up into the cost on tv bills and things like that left right and center let alone being just a sport factor too i never find enough on netflix i've got netflix and prime as part of that ludicrously expensive package that's going up 50 50 quid but it's kind of like I never really find enough on it to justify the money. It's only because there's five of us in this house and, and everybody mm. you know, views off the back of that and they seem to really, really want it. I mean, are we comparing television production to the price of eggs or something? In the, the, you know, If you get six eggs in a box and it's gone up by 50p, then you, you know you're getting the same eggs 
But I'm wondering whether we're going into this Poundland type situation where you go in there and you want to buy your, your litre of cooking oil or whatever, and suddenly you're the same money, but it's gone down to 750 mil or something. Mm. You're getting less for the same cash. Is, is that where we're going with broadcasting, do you think? We're, we're going to get let. We're going to pay something like the same or a bit more, but we're going to get less for it. The Charlie Iscots of this world, which I think, you know, are we going to skim through all the presentation and just start the, 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 the viewing at the race and at the checkered flag? Because there's nothing interesting either side of it. They're not bringing us any any information. And that's what I got from World Superbikes at the yeah. weekend. I got no information either side of the racing. Make up your mind what you got. You got JT and, and and Greg Haynes giving us a commentary. And even then, what it did was it put more strain on them to get information out in the broadcast. And I didn't enjoy that as much. I felt like there was too many stats in it then, which normally that kind of gossip and innuendo and all the rest of it is down to the presenters to present either side of the racing. I want to see the racing. I want to hear the comments about the racing. I want JT to be giving me his view as a double world champion and his skill regarding that. Not a whole load of stats and bits and pieces that he's he's kind of got in his piece of paper and he wants to get out there. That's for presentation. That's for either side of it, in my view. And I want to know what people on Crash think. I want to know what how they view commentary, presentation, cost, whether they're getting as much as they thought they should be getting for the money they're mm. paying now. So, or has that decreased? So, so I to pick up on on another point you said as well about remote broadcasting and things like that. So I work for FOM, as you guys know, Formula One Management, owned by Liberty Media too. And that has become, since COVID, increasingly entirely remote, pretty much. They said a skeleton crew out to most of the races. There are some presenters that go out. There's obviously off-camera operators, technicians, things like that. But the entire gallery is based back in the UK. Most of the commentary is based back in the UK. And... There are upsides to that as well, as well as saving costs, obviously. It means for the likes of maybe the older the older geezers who don't want to travel as much, being away from their family and all this kind of things, it helps them out too. Having done a lot of my commentaries remote, um, people don't actually realise that you are remote. It's always a bit of a, you know, taking the veil off and revealing, oh, sorry, we're not actually in Bahrain. And that's a downside for me personally. But on another upside is, because they're now focusing more remote, this is particularly from a Formula One perspective, they've just built these amazing new studios, all London-based, and they're actually ramping up their production around the race weekends and particularly midweek because now they can do it all remotely. They can do it all in one place. They can actually spend more time trying to get more programming up and about and actually increase their offering. So I wonder if this is actually more of a, maybe a motorbike, world superbike-specific issue with how they're doing the production at the moment it's money at the end of the day formula one is the sport when it comes to generating mm. cash and that's what it will come down to absolutely and you've got the environmental thing as well i mean you'll have all seen it at the end of a program it said this is an albert a sustainable production how the old albert came in it i, I was about to say to albert bartlett but that's a that's a roast potato brand isn't it <laughs> Well, I was thinking of Prince Albert, and we're going in a completely different direction. <laughs> but the point being, <laughs> don't gulp. The point being is that there is an environmental side to this where air miles and the like, and I'm serious about it because because we do have to do something about that, obviously. Environmentally, it's correct. But the Albert Award is a sustainable production. But I, I, I kind of went to the, to the presentation at BT Sport, which we were, it's one of them voluntary but not voluntary kind of attendance things that you do at these corporate type big, big weeks that they get you to go to. 
and we had this presentation going on, you know. And so if I drank out of a stainless steel BT goblet and a stainless steel straw, it's considered to be offset to my air miles that it cost me to get there. They've got this kind of calculation of, of if you promote um, environmentally friendly things during your broadcast, it's considered to be offset. Um, just total bullshit. It, honestly, I, I've never known anything quite like it, to be frank with you. I mean, there was at that particular point, there were 26 people from BT traveling to each and every MotoGP. Um, since then, there's a lot more gone remote, as you say, Harry, a lot more back in, in, in the technology is caught up so that they can do things remotely. But there is no, and, and by the way, drinking out of a stainless steel cup was because there was masses in the corner of the Dorna um, camp. There would be like 3,000 bottles of water, plastic bottles of water that was discarded during the course of the weekend and to do with a whole load of other things, plastics all over the place. And plastic is a nasty thing. So I, I can understand the thinking behind it. But we're a motorsport churning out carbon everywhere we go and everything we do, um, which is gradually being reduced. Um, but whether it's a sustainable production or not, I think it's almost like a statistical juggling act that you have with with the things that you're trying to trying to do within it. Um, getting back to the people on site side of things, there's no there's no compromise there. Surely it, it you need presenters and commentators on site at a race meeting. The information lost, you might get away with it once or twice during the course of a year because of some other force majeure or whatever it might be that means that you can't get to a track because of COVID or whatever that is. Um, but the point being is, is that, that information that you get when you're stood in the car park, when everybody drives up at 6.30 in the morning and you walk in with Valentino Rossi's mechanics, with whoever it might be back in the day, and you're picking up information, leaning against a fence while mechanics are having a fag before they start work in the morning. Or running around the track not that i ever ran around the track i walked around the track <laughs> but i'd get them while they'd done done two laps i'd get the same mechanics or whatever and have a bit of a chat with them around there it's invaluable from the the value that you get as a journalist as a commentator as a broadcast entity from being there and talking with these people face to face you know that is what we pay quite large amounts of money for to watch that is what we pay a subscription for if all you're going to get is a world feed, it's like a press release. I mean, I get a thousand press releases on my computer and I, I pretty much delete most of them from the start. I don't even bother reading them because there's nothing in them that's of any interest. It's just wallpaper. It's like paint jobs, like Pete's just been saying about the bikes. You know, we're interested in what's under the cover more than what's you know painted on them. And I think that if television is going the way of press releases, where we're only going to get that homogenized, you know, low level interest stuff, um, I don't like that at all. And again, if you're comparing it with Formula One, like you just were a minute ago, you know, can you not watch the bloody Sky Formula One? I, I, I have to watch it. I have to watch it because there's stuff in it. Bloody Ted Kravitz. If he was in my lounge, I'd throw him out. But I tell you what, for, for uh, his stuff is just you've got to watch it. You've got to hear it. Um, and, and, I, and I value that stuff. And I think if I'm going to pay the 150 quid a month or whatever it is for, for all my bloody channels in HD and ultra HD and all the rest of it, I want that kind of information. I don't want it to be done. I don't want to lose the likes of Charlie Iscott. Mm. Well, it, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? Let us know. We do want to hear what, what you think on that in the comments below, um, or you can get in touch on, on the social channels. Just just while we're sort of, we, we talked a lot about the broadcast side, obviously, and we are going to come back to some actual on-track stuff in a minute but Pete, i think it might be interesting for people just to hear sort of 
what it's like for you as a digital journalist you know how how does it work for you in terms of getting to tracks how many can you actually go to what what freedoms you have and what you what you can't do well as Keith was saying from this year digital and, and print if you like will be the same so it, it's kind of it depends if you're asking before or after this year but so for this year everyone will be let's say treated the same way, run by the same press office, if you like. So it will simplify things immensely. Um, and yet, yeah, as a, as a, a I suppose, written journalist, it's probably the easiest way of putting it. Because if I say print, obviously, who prints things these days? Not many people, right? Um, you know, yeah, so you get, what, what's the access? I suppose the minimum access that you might get is only for the paddock and the media room. Um, not many people would be, but that's the minimum level, if you like. Then you get uh, access to the to the service road around the track, so you can walk and stand around the track as well as the paddock, the media room. And then, if you like, there's the, the pit lane part, which is much more heavily restricted these days. Mm. And I, I rarely get to go into pit lane apart from tests. Um, and you know that's fair enough. I mean, the, the the numbers have to be restricted in pit lane. They prioritise the TVs for that. Um, and, and there's a safety issue there with having too many people. So that's sort of how it works for the track access. Um, and then you've got a choice, really. You can either, pass-wise, you either go for single event passes, I guess this is the same as any motorsport, or you apply for a season pass, which means obviously you can just have one pass at the start of the year and you get to go to all the races. But um, yeah, that, that's sort of how it works um, from, the, from the written side of things. Uh, the number of journalists, it, it varies massively depending on where you are. Obviously, as a kind of a European sport, it's um it's almost like two different championships in some ways when it's in Europe. You know, when it's in Europe, you've got all the hospitality and Keith will know it's all the hospitality units and and loads of journalists from say Spain and Italy and and, and the, the continent, if you like, that, that can very easily drive between races. And then you go to all these uh, let's say the flyaways now, which are pretty much half of the season outside Europe. You know, that's where it's going. And some races you can go to, and there'll be just a handful of journalists there from the international side because of the costs. So again, coming back to what you guys were saying about the costs going up, flight prices have increased massively since COVID. And that's that's eating into everybody's um, you know travel expenses and everything else, having to be a lot more careful about which events they really go to and, and look at what do you get from those events if you're there. It's, uh, it's a big thing from a production point of view. Um, I was speaking to somebody the other day that um, they committed to a four-year deal as a production house to produce programs not in motorsport as far as I'm aware but um and they're on their fourth year now and they are losing money they agreed a contract rate for the four years first two years they made money third year they're just about broke even fourth year because everything has gone through the sky and the and their contract meant that they are actually losing money this year which they will fulfill because that's how you have to do it but there's suddenly going to be a big jump when everybody has this this catching up business I, I mentioned earlier on that presenters um, fees will be going down. TNT have taken over BT, Eurosport, Discovery. It's all going to be under the one. Um, and you can be fairly sure. I mean, to give you some idea, I don't know whether I've mentioned this on air before, but seeing as I know... You're going to tell us what you got paid? <laughs> well, I, I won't tell you how much I got paid, but I will give you some percentages of it. Um, Sky Sports paid twice as much as BT Sports. BT Sports pays twice as much as Eurosport. Ah, now, you can make, if it's 50p, um, you can work out the percentages. But Sky Sports originally paid double what BT paid. BT paid double what Eurosport pays. Now, I know that because I was paid by all of them at some stage or another. So um, it's a situation, it's a declining market for presenters. There's a lot of young presenters coming in, like yourself, Harry, that really they're, they're not, they've not been bred on, the, on, the, on the, the ludicrous amounts of money people were paid years ago. 
you know, Gary Lineker, is he worth 1.35 million to give us his left wing views? Um, you know, at the end of the day, that's what the BBC pay him. Um, 1.35 million. Blimey, that's a fair contract. He's doing all right. Uh, I won't be able to buy a house anytime and he's soon. Crisps. Huh? And don't forget his Chris. Oh, that's a lovely, well. yes. <laughs> don't mention the name. They're not paying us, so we won't we won't give them a mention. Uh well it, it's it's a really interesting uh detail to look into for us. I hope it's been interesting for you, just to give you a little behind the scenes of, of how it kind of works, sort of on a broadcast and a and a journalist side of things you know these things don't happen overnight there's a lot of things to to weave their way into making what a production and a sport actually looks like on on the tv and and online when you read it um but we'll part that there for the moment i think and we'll go back to some actual uh motor gp bike stuff because we back on track this weekend pete the final official pre-season test coming up this weekend that's right Yes, Harry, we've waited a while, haven't we? Another few weeks. It's been a long winter in general, but it's been a, quite a break between the two tests this year. So, yeah, we had Sepang three days last month, early last month, and now this is the last two-day test before the opening round. And, of course, giving it extra importance is the test is at the same track, Portimao, as the opening round. So, yeah, all eyes on, uh, you know, the guys that need to improve that struggled at Sepang. And uh, I guess if you're Ducati, you're just hoping for the same again, please, um, having pretty much dominated at Sepang. Uh, you, you were talking actually, talking actually about the VR46 launch. We, there was a, a media Zoom video call with the, the riders, you know, as part of that. And uh, Luca Marini was saying, look, you know, after Luca Marini, of course, was fastest in the two winter tests so far, Valencia, November, and Sepang. Um, he was saying that, you know, after Sepang, if, if or if they'd have raced there and then, the top five probably would have been Ducati. Um, so it wasn't just us guys looking at the timesheets that thought that. He thought that as well. And he did actually name them. He said, you know, himself... Uh, Jorge Martin, Peko, um, Inea, and Bez, Marco Bezecchi's teammate. He said that those five all had about the same pace and were the guys to beat at Sepang. It wasn't completely obvious, of course, because of the rain upsets. There was not that many race simulations, but that's what he as a rider thought as well. So it really does look like Ducati are the guys to beat. And Marini did say, he said, look, this time last year, I don't think the Ducati was the best bike. He meant the new Ducati, so the 22 last year, as we know, they had some problems. He said this year, the Ducati is the best bike already. And that's what's going to worry other people, isn't it, going into it. Keith made an interesting point. I hate to say this, but he did a few podcasts <laughs> ago um, about Portimao being a unique track. I think he used the word motocross track, Keith. And I thought, right, well, I'm going to look at this. And I thought it'd be interesting to know what, what were the nearest results to Portimao? You know, which other track gave similar results? And do you know what? It was the Saxon ring. So there you go. If you want to look at, you know, yeah. So just to recap, it was Quattararo one at Portimao from Zarco. And it was um, Aleish third after Miller took out Mia, you might remember. And what happened at Saxon Ring? Quattararo won, exactly the same. From Zarco, exactly the same. And it was Miller in third and Aleish in fourth. So again, very similar results. Um, so it does it, it does just show. I mean, if, you're gonna, if you've got results that kind of align with the Saxon Ring, which is the most unique circuit on the calendar, isn't it? Tight, twisty, small. It does just show that it is a real sort of, it's one of those tracks with Phillip Island, maybe Cota, that sort of, there's something different about it, and it means that what we see at Portimao, it might not be what we see for the rest of the season. And you might contrast that with with, with Sepang. What were the results last year? Peko won. He ended up being world champion. Bassini was second. He was third in the championship. Quattararo was third in the race and second in the championship. So the top three guys in the championship were the top three guys at Sepang. So it just shows the contrast between the two testing tracks. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens this weekend. 
Well, let's see what happens this weekend. But it's, it's it's quite deep as well, isn't it? I mean, thank God we'll be talking about motorbikes from now on in, so I haven't got room to rent about whatever it might be. But the, the, the point being this weekend as well is that some of them are going to be on these new magnetic Morelli um, ECUs and stuff as well that, that, that there's a bit of a shortage of because they haven't got the chips that they need to, to, to make it work for, for everybody out there. But, I mean, it's kind of transpired in the last week or so since we talked about this new Magneti Morelli thing. I mean, Pete reported on it um, and, and has sort of upgraded that report a bit, so you better look out for that. I see David Emmett was giving you a bit of a blowing a, a bit of smoke your way, Pete. That's, um, but effectively, these things have got so much more capacity um, to take information, and they're hooked in as well with, with more ports on the things. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As well, so you can plug more stuff into them. And one of your subjects from two years ago, I think, Pete, was the was the crash. Um, not our podcast technology, but the, the crash technology that they're trying to integrate into um, Grand Prix bikes. And there's a whole sector that's a, a, available through the ECU as far as that's concerned as well. So um, uh, Corrado, who's working on this, the, 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 the guy that's behind all the technical stuff at the moment, um, has really sort of let the cat out of the bag a bit here, that this new ECU is actually a little bit more to it than what he's been sort of alluding to over the last few months. I mean, there is a lot more to it in actual fact. And, and I can 
I can imagine there being a bit of a clamour for the latest ECUs because the capacity of what you can download out of it and the like, and the speed at which you can download it as well, which is important. I mean, this will favour uh, the factory teams more than the independent teams because when you're going to be downloading a load, of, you need someone to disseminate all of that. You need the staff, and the factory teams obviously have that back at base and at trackside, um, whereas the independent teams are going to be bloody up to the up to their necks in it anyway. <laughs> Add together the fact that we're what 21 Grand Prix this year as well, plus sprint races. You, I just can't see how these people are going to get all the work done. I mean the the, the tech side in the garage, the, their brains are going to be on absolute overload. We are going to get halfway through this season and people are going to be probably in some kind of trouble, I think, with their staff. I can I could predict that. You know, like it's the workload this year, 2023, has ramped up 100%. Interesting you mentioned about the, the difference between the satellite and the factory teams. I, the question I asked uh, Marini at the launch was, you know, do you think... Uh, Actually, what we've spoken about on the podcast, should there be some sort of concessions for the satellite team to just help them bridge that gap? And uh, he, he totally disagreed. He said, no, no, no. You see, you know, his point of view, Marine is very interesting. He can sort of look at something from different angles, not just from the rider's point of view. And that's why, you know, I hope he does do well from that point of view of the sport, because he is very good at giving opinions and he takes his, you can tell he's his brother's brother, you might say. And he gets that, you know, he needs to get something across and, and make the sport interesting to people. And he was saying, look, you know, the factories pay a lot of money. They need to win. You know, his fear was that we've lost Suzuki. You know, we don't want to lose any others. And so, you know, even though he rides for a satellite team and obviously he wants to do it the best that he can, the reality from the business side is the factory teams need to be winning the championship. They need to be doing well to keep the manufacturers involved, to keep them pumping the money in, as we were just talking about with, you know, the sport needing money. You know, as he said, this all plays into things. And so, yeah, quite quite interesting because I expected that, you know, from a pure rider's point of view, say, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, we need to have my, my, my suggestion was maybe a bit more fuel or one extra new tire, you know, over a weekend, just something like that, just to help perhaps even the gap between all of the human resources, as Keith says, that factory teams have compared with the much smaller satellite teams that have to go through data and things with a, you know, a small group of people. But uh, no, he, he said, look, you know, I, I understand it. I don't want any change in the regulations. And you as a rider, your goal is to get to a factory team. That's your dream. He said, if you get there and then you find out that the satellite bike is quicker, <laughs> you're not going to be very happy. So, uh, so, and just to finish that, his goal is definitely to get into a factory team for 24. Now, will that be possible? Who knows? And Bezeki said the same thing. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, that, they, they made it clear. Their goals are to win a race this year, both of them, and, uh, you know, hopefully get into a factory team as soon as possible. We've mentioned it on this pod before that, that quite often, you know, as a, as a previous factory rider, sometimes you jump on the factory bike and it is nowhere near as good as you thought <laughs> it, would, it should be. I mean, like sometimes the one that's had all the data, and we've seen that, you know, Grassini and the like, you know, the, the fact is the bike that's already had a year's worth of data and has all that, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? That default that you can always come back to. Um, whereas the factory bike has got all the new bits on it. You haven't yet worked through all of those um, bits of data yet to get it to get it to its best. That, that, that is exactly what Marini said, because he was also asked, what's the chances of you doing what Bastianini did last year and winning the first race on the year old bike? And he said, yeah, the trouble is this year, the two day test. The two-day test at Portimao is going to give the factories, exactly as Keith's been saying, who will otherwise struggle. Marini said, look, my bike, if you take it out of the crate, it's ready to win. You know, in machinery terms, that's it, go. But by having this two-day test, the factories are going to have all that time to get their new parts that they might have trouble with at other racetracks when they turn up. 
They'll have more time to get them ready. So he thinks it'll be a tougher job at the first race. But then after that, he's going to have to sort of strike early in the first third of the season again, for the reasons that Keith says. While the factories are still trying to get the setup right, they might be a bit slow to get everything in line. That's when the guys on the year-old bikes, and, and the year-old bikes are, uh, there's some Aprilias, aren't there, at RNF, and there's the, the Ducatis. They're the only ones that are actually last year's bikes, where they can just, you know, take the bike out, bike out the crate and just go for it. And that, that's where they might benefit. But then it's going to get harder. As the season goes on, the, the factory guys will learn what they've got, understand it better, be up to speed sooner. Also, probably a point worth making, Pete, is that, that this weekend, of course, it's the cutoff then. Once we get the port de mail proper, um, it's the cutoff from a, from a, the changes you can make um, to the machinery. You know, it's, uh, you, it's homologated and that's the rest of the year. So any big changes that there are, I mean, I'm thinking of Yamaha at the moment, if they've got anything in the pipe at all that they can chuck at it when they get to Port Imel, um, it's going to be their last opportunity. And after that, it's a, a sealed motor for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's exactly. The, the, yeah, the engine is the big one, isn't it? As you say, this is it. Those that, those that aren't sure what they're going to use, uh, they're going to have, well, they're going to hope to be clear by a Sunday night in Portimao because that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? To go into a new season, not quite sure if you pick the right engine because, as you say, Keith, they're going to have to. Um, once they once they leave pit lane with that engine, isn't it? No going back until uh, until December. Well, just uh, a couple more weeks until we have all the answers, really, and uh, and that first race is done. Now, you mentioned VR46, uh, the riders there. We've had a lot of questions come in, and this one uh, is on the VR46 riders, and a bit about Remy Gardner as well, I think, from Mike. Let's have a listen. Hello, gentlemen. Mike Vincent here from Sydney, Australia. Long-time listener. I have two questions today. One is, how do you see VR46 playing out in terms of bike manufacturer, staying with Ducati or going over to Yamaha? And secondly, with Remy Gardner, do you see a future with Remy Gardner going to Yamaha MotoGP if successful in World Superbike? Thank you. Well, a couple of tough questions there. Let's start off with Remy, shall we? I rate Remy very highly. I like the kid. I think he's a good rider. I think that um, it hasn't really worked out for him in MotoGP, but that wasn't to be surprised. You know, we weren't to be surprised with that as the as the team really struggled to get to grips with the the, the new bikes and the like. But uh, I hope Remy nails it in, in World Superbike. Dad Wayne always used to tell me that Remy on a Superbike was a bit special. Bit, as soon as he got some horsepower under him without a load of electronic interference, he was, um, he was quite a kid with, it, with his right hand. So I hope Remy is successful. Whether there will be a room back for him, do you know what? I doubt it. There's such a logjam of great young kids coming through that are in the the GP environment at the moment, it's going to be a real struggle for him to come back, even if he won the World Championship. Look at Top Rack. He was the guy that Top Rack was, uh, was considered to be the man to come through to MotoGP. Yeah, right now, with the way things are going in World Superbike, you will think to yourself, I wonder if he will find his way to MotoGP. You know, if it, if it carries on going the way it is, Top Rack might not be the man. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be wanting that old boy, Alvaro, back soon. <laughs> <laughs> he carries on going the way he is. Um, Ducati and VR46. Well, Valentino knows his stuff at the end of the day. Yamaha are struggling. They're going to have to come up with something a little bit special in the way of promises, I would say, to, to get them to switch across. Um, it may be more about what Ducati are prepared to do for VR46 moving forward um, that will sway them, I would think. I think it will be more of a behind-the-scenes political situation Who's getting the top line bikes? If Ducati uh, see 
the VR46 Empire as being uh, the best option for their best bikes, then why would you change? At the moment, Ducati is, uh, is the bike, and Yamaha most certainly isn't. You know, we might say something different after Portimao if Quattararo can put something together again at a track that we know the MR works really well at. But there's a long bloody season this year. That is for sure. I think VR46 are in the right place at the moment. Whether they would change, I think, will be more down to Ducati. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, I mean, what would you do if you're VR46? It's always interesting seeing Rossi in these team pictures as well in plain clothing, isn't he? You know, he's, he, he never puts on the Ducati gear. You know, when he rides on the track with the guys, he's always on an R1. You know, those those links between Rossi and Yamaha, they just go far, so far back, don't they? And uh, it was the FIM president, wasn't it, who sort of released this rumour. Uh, I think it was over the winter, wasn't it, about VR46 moving to Ducati. Now, of course, it's been denied by, by VR46, who have a contract for next year with Ducati. That's the final year. But, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things, well, there's no smoke without fire. That's sort of what you think, isn't it? And Lynn Jarvis isn't denying it completely. I mean, you know, he's he's playing it very cool as ever, but he's certainly not saying, not ruling it out, let's say. Um, it's going to come down to, as Keith says, the, the, the competitive machinery. Uh, you know, will they be offered full factory bikes to tempt them over? This is where the door is slightly ajar in that the, they're on year-old Ducatis now, aren't they? They've just slipped a little bit further from the front of the Ducati queue, haven't they, this year? Last year, Marini had the latest bike. Of course, it, you might say it didn't do him great favours at the start of the year for the reasons that Keith mentioned before about problems with new bikes. But still, he was up in that, that front, the front end of the Ducati queue. Now they're on the year old bikes, two of them, two of them, uh, both riders. So you might say, well, there's a, there's a bit of an, uh, you know, a chance there for Yamaha to come in and say, look, we'll give you factory bikes. But then again, they never gave their, their satellite team two factory bikes before. So it's going to come down to how badly Yamaha wants to have a satellite team, how badly they want to have Valentino Rossi in there. And another one to throw in, which, and, and, and it's come up again recently, but I heard it a few years back as well, is that, you know, what if Rossi actually... What if they took over the factory team? What if they became the factory Yamaha team? You know, I, it's, I heard that back in 2019, I first heard that. I would, I would say, Pete, that's, that's hammer on nail of um, perfectly. I would say that that would be the only way that, that Valentino would cross over. And you're right, the fact that he's never in uh, Ducati colours and the like means that Ducati aren't doing enough for VR46 at the moment. It's a subtle way of, 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 of making that clear. I can see him taking over the factory Yamaha team. And I, I can see that would be the only way that he'd be interested in it. But then only if the engineering department are giving them what they need. This year is a real make or break for, for Yamaha. You know, it's, they've either got to have something that they're developing during the course of the year behind the scenes that no one will know about. Um, so that when we get to 2024, um, there's something special ready and waiting and, and feasible. Um, but if they keep going the way they're going, where they're just sort of fine tuning what they've already got, um, I can't see that switch being made at the moment. Mm. Be interesting. I mean, that's 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 the 2024 conversation. I can't believe we're talking about 2024 already. <laughs> we say that every year. We start the year talking about the next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh uh, and Remy, sorry, the second part of Mike's question. Um, so, Remy, yes, uh, I mean, it's a bit like Icolacona, isn't it? It's a bit of a similar oh. situation. I know, Harry, I, sorry, to, sorry to open that wound again, but, oh. I mean, I... I the, the easiest way to come back is a bit like if you're a Moto2 rider and you want to get into MotoGP as well, which obviously Remy did, and that was to win the championship. You know, he won the World Championship Moto2 and he got a MotoGP seat. I think if you're Ico Lacona or you're Remy Gardner, one of these young guys that, that has certainly age on their side in terms of coming back, you've got to win the World Superbike title. I think if you do that, and sometimes it's even in the contracts, you know, they'll have a contract that says, if I win the championship, 
um, you know, you give me a ride in your satellite team. Obviously, the problem with Yamaha is they don't have a satellite team at the moment. But from what they're saying, they're very keen on getting one in the near future, whether that's 24 or 25. Um, there will be some more Yamahas on the grid, which will obviously be a big boost to Remy and anyone else who is already on a Yamaha. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for those excellent questions. Uh, we've got another Mike here as well. Hey, guys, I appreciate your podcast very much. I look forward to it every week. Question about Mark Marquez. A lot of discussion about will he stay with Honda? Uh, will he go to Ducati? I don't really don't see a, an opening at Ducati. Certainly not in uh, 2024, maybe not in 2025. I don't see him taking less than a factory seat, in my opinion. Uh, anyway, what I'm wondering about, I haven't heard anyone talk about Marquez moving to Aprilia, factory Aprilia. Alicia Spargaro, I know, doesn't want to race too much longer. Will he race out his contract? I don't know. Maybe that seat could be available in uh, next year. What do you guys think about that? That seems to have some strong potential in my mind, but no one's talking about it. Maybe you guys can. Thanks. What do we think? I think your opinion's good. Uh, I think you're, you're bang on at the moment with that. I mean, it's. Uh, I think you pr pretty much answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Aprilia would be a steal if, if 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 he feels that Honda are not able to develop a motorbike that's going to get him another world title. He's 30 years old now. It's amazing how it creeps up on you. I look in the mirror in the mornings and I think, good God, who's that geezer? <laughs> I'm sure Mark doesn't think that just yet. But he's 30 years old and all that injury. And he didn't go through all that pain and that corrective surgery to not win another world title. You know, so at the end of the day, it's it's he, he will want a competitive machine. If the Honda isn't the bike, God, could Honda afford another bad year? No, <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> I mean, the first thing I'd like to say for that question is, and isn't this fantastic that we're even considering Mark Marquez and Aprilia? If we went yeah. back a couple of years in MotoGP, you know, and Aprilia were back of the grid, you, you know, you'd never imagine. Laughed it, you the, out the room. You know, credit where it's due. They have got that bike to the front of the field, and and now in a position where it's 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 up there as the challenger to a Ducati. You know, if you can't get a Ducati, you look for an Aprilia at the moment. And uh, you know, we have to see what happens at this test. Well, but um, but yeah, the evidence from Sepang is that they're they're going to build on on last year. The one question I've got the is, got. sorry, Keith, was it's just sorry. it's just the concessions thing, isn't it? That's the one thing I, I you know it's been a great start at Sepang. But and we've mentioned this before. Normally, the concessions do sort of just trim the results off a little bit. So let's see, let's see how this year goes for them. The problem you've got when you take on someone like Mark Marquez is one that we've talked about so many times, and the reason why Ducati have never been interested uh, in taking him on because if he wins, it's Mark Marquez. If he loses, it's the manufacturer. Now, will his status have slipped to a point where Aprilia can take that risk? That's the question. You know, if, if if Mark Marcus's dominance has slipped down the order and Aprilia give him a bike that he can become winning again, um, that will be full points to to uh, Aprilia, um, not to Mark Marquez. So it's kind of a, a question of where he is in the pecking order at the point of those contracts coming up almost. Um, you know, Ducati have pretty much ruled him out because of the reasons I've said. KTM, if you remember, the, there was a big rumour about KTM. And at the time, that Red Bull money, there was loads of money. They could have fired 40 million quid at Mark Marquez and stolen him across at some stage a while ago. Um, but of course, if that bike hadn't won, it would have been down to the bike, um, not Mark Marquez. If it did win, it would have been Mark Marquez winning on the KTM, not because of the KTM. So, I mean, it's a real poison chalice when you've got someone as great as Mark Marquez 
in the marketplace. And it's just a question of where that market is at the time those contracts come up. Good question, though. Very good. Thank you very yeah, much. I, actually, a, a bit of a, it doesn't really answer the question, but you reminded me of something there, Keith. I, I spoke to Mark Marquez's uh, Olin's technician and, and Michelin tyre technician at Sepang. Now, I'll, I'll keep it brief so I don't bore you all, but the thing that really interested me about, about what they said was that they both, exactly the same thing, and that was that Mark's feedback is fantastic. You know, when he rides a bike, he comes back in pretty quickly. He tells you exactly what the bike is doing, and it matches exactly with what they then see on the telemetry and and both of them said this separately without any prompting or anything like that and uh, yeah i thought it was interesting just that uh, that was the thing that they they raised as, as being surprising about mark because sometimes with these super talented riders these multiple champions they're so naturally talented that it seems that, that one one of the things you hear is that they just they just do things on instinct and they're not too good at developing bikes because they just solve it they just ride around it with their own natural talent um, but it seems like, yeah, you know, in Mark's case, he is spot on with the feedback that he gives. Both of them said that, and it exactly matches um, what they see on the data. Uh, one other thing is that his Olin's guy said, because we're always seeing Mark hard on the brakes, aren't we? And, and doing those, you know, bike getting out of control and those kind of things. He said, look, you know, that is just Mark pushing the bike to the limit. Mark's setup on the bike is actually nothing unusual. He he runs a normal, a normal range of suspension, let's say. It's just the way he pushes. So, uh, yeah, just a bit of a an insight into Mark's uh, Mark's working uh, way, shall we say, and perhaps what Honda have missed while he's been injured. You know, missing that that feedback. Well, thank you, Mike, for the question. God, I looked down for one minute, and Keith's disappeared, <laughs> and then he's back. Cup of tea time. <laughs> uh, right. Well, yeah, nearly time for a cup of tea and some lunch. Uh, but we've got a couple more questions to do, and I'm wary because we didn't get the voice notes done last time, so I want to get them all done. Uh, Stephen's up next. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Harry, Pete. And Keith, it's Steve from Victoria, Australia. Uh, thanks for the awesome podcast, guys. It's a must watch and listen for me every week. Uh, as a long-time MotoGP fan, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the future of the sport. Where do you think it will be in five to ten years' time? Do you guys think it will go fully electric in that period? I hope there'll always be a place for the internal combustion engine. And is the current rate of spending sustainable in MotoGP long term. Thanks for your insights, guys. I will listen to the podcast. Thank you. Another great question. Um, yes, of course, MotoGP will. I think MotoGP's got headroom. We've seen what's happened. Again, I'm sorry to keep mentioning Formula One. Um, it's my bearded friend that's obviously big in Formula One. But the, the point being is that there's there was headroom in Formula One, massive amount of headroom in Formula One. Digital media wasn't something that, that, that they embraced. And I think with with MotoGP, you know, Dorna have been quite wide thinking with this. They've they've, they've enhanced the digital media platforms that, that are out there. I think I think they need to get away from the the, the geo fencing that they do and the, the kind of petty stuff that they do that that blocks people from seeing things in different marketplaces and stuff like that. I think that there there are certain areas that that, that, that Dorna really must address as we move forward. Um, the funding is probably the biggest problem that you've got with any kind of sport of, of this kind. And they've taken a fairly, I don't think it took a massive hit, but they certainly didn't make much profit during the three years of um, the pandemic. I think that's hit them quite hard. At the end of the day, they, they have you know quite big backers behind them that they've got to show that it is a viable business moving forward. And they're, they're kind of enhancing their product with this sprint race on a Saturday, looking to try and get bigger TV audiences into that and the like. Losing Valentino Rossi at this particular point, you know, a global superstar, 
is a is a blow, whichever way you look at it. You know, Valentino not being on track. You know, he was fifty percent of the audience back in the day. The same as we had Barry Sheen. You know, Mike Haywood. If you go back even further, there are certain icons that worldwide they're recognised and they're, they're what you attach yourself towards. Um, so I think that building the, the the brand still further is a big job that Dorna have got, and that costs a lot of money. Um, and the product itself, to me, seems really, really good. I don't know whether I'm bloody blinkered or what, but I mean, MotoGP for me, watching MotoGP, getting involved in MotoGP, it just it does it for me all the time. I get excited just thinking about it. And if we can, if we, if that is the way that people feel, and it has that momentum behind it. You know, there's there's been the big argument about influencers and influencers and people on the grid and, and and famous faces and things like that. There's 50% of people say we don't want to see those kind of people, people that know nothing about the sport wandering around on the grid. Well, perhaps we don't, but there are a lot of pe- millions of people who follow them who do, and there is a fairly large sheep-like mentality out there that the influencers, you know, breed. They, they, you know, people feed off of what influencers do and the like. Are we moving in the right direction with the right associations, with the right people? You know, that's something that somebody somewhere should be looking at within Dorna. Um, where will we be in 10 years' time? Hopefully not electric, and I think that we've pretty much proved that by going the sustainable fuel route at the moment. You know, I don't want to go banging on about electric again because I've got a bad name for it already, but it, it's kind of like they're looking at the sustainable fuel side of things, which is good. Um, I, I, I can't see us moving away from, from that direction at the moment in fact from a personal point of view i could see the rest of the world coming towards us regarding that it was only a few years ago the government was banging on that diesel was the best thing since sliced bread now it's like the antichrist you know it's it's kind of one of those things where things change position changes regarding technology and the like yeah there was a there was a shout for the fact that two strokes were becoming more environmentally friendly just a little while ago and we were looking at maybe two strokes were coming back into the into the fray oh (laughs) <laughs> that would make me feel ever so wonderful, but I can't see it. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, when you when you listen to people, the youngsters again in Formula One. Okay, I'll, I'll use them rather than the MotoGP. But when they talk about, you know, they stand at trackside and 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 they're listening to a V10 or a V12 going by in a demo, and they all say, "God, I wish it was like that again." You know, even the guys driving these hybrids that are in Formula One at the moment harp back. Even the youngsters. I mean, this could be an old man's thing. Obviously, I'd be quite easily to be slated for that. But it's not just an old man's thing. It's a young man's thing as well. When they stand there and they listen to the, the mechanics of a, of a V12 screaming its nuts off, just it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, the world needs a bit of that. It's funny because I couldn't care less, <laughs> which almost seems like sacrilege. I, so I tell you what, I, I, I do get the sound idea because I, I went to um, Ferrari do this event every year called the Finale Mondiale, and it's their big Ferrari celebration whatever and they they whack out all the old f1 cars uh you know schumacher we're going back to sort of 2004 era and um yeah they sound amazing but i'm happy to hear it once when you hear it it hurts the ears after a while it just does and it's a bit it's like all right okay i've heard it now you know put it back in it, I, I, it's a really interesting viewpoint because you are obviously decades younger than me i turned 26 um, this week can you brought- believe it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four decades younger than me. But the point being is that, well, happy birthday. I'm glad you uh, made yeah, it. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I, I, I was always told that I wasn't going to make it. Really? 26. Well, it's not till it's not till Saturday, so anything could happen till then. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you give me much lip and I'll come down and sort you. <laughs> but the point being is that it is, your perspective is a really interesting one. I, I mean, I talk about sitting here with my, I've, I've got young daughters, as you all know, and the, the fact is that their perspective is interesting for me. Where we are in the world is interesting mm. for me. And it's interesting that convers- that question that's just been asked, you know, where will we be in 10 or 15 years' time, 12, 5, 10 years' time? I mean, it, it's a great question because if we knew we'd make a lot of money mm. in the next 5 or 10 years' time, you can't know where technology is going to go. There is somebody beavering away in a white coat somewhere that's 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 coming up with the tomorrow's new ideas. And, and the likes of organisers and, and promoters and so on and so forth will jump on that, and governments, of course, because they always jump on it retrospectively um it's going to be really interesting i'm for rocket power that would be good um pete what do you reckon uh so well in terms of the future rules as you say the 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 thing we know is the is the what's it non-fossil fuel that you've been talking about so that's it we can tick that box we know they're going to be running 100 percent on that from 2027 onwards at the moment everything else is up for grabs now, what I think will happen from the from 27, which is the end of the current contract with the manufacturers, so that's when you get any big changes. I don't actually think there will be that many big changes. I think, you know, reduction in some of the ride height devices and whole shot devices, um, for the reasons that we've talked about before, the straight line speed, um, maybe uh, more restrictions on the aerodynamics. I don't think they'll get rid of them completely. I think it'll be those kind of changes. Whether they'll change the engine size, I'm honestly not sure, but... I'm I'm sure it will be from 27. It will still be an internal combustion engine. It'll just be running the non-fossil fuel. And they'll they'll have a choice of biofuel or they can choose this e-fuel. Both are sort of, I I think technically there's not that much difference between them, but they're two different ways of approaching the same problem. So they're they're keeping things open for the fuel manufacturers. And Repsol, if if anyone's interested, if you like, in, in the team launch, they made a big thing about this move that's going to start from 24. They go to, I think, 40% next year. So they start that process. Keith was mentioning the ECU is going to have all these, these extra sort of data gathering capabilities to tune the engine to fix this with this new fuel. So they're going to start that process from next year. And that, that should help draw in also the, the, the big petroleum companies and oil manufacturers for renewable um, fuels in that sense. Now, uh, in terms of the sport in general, I think, yeah, there's a bit of a lull, isn't there? Because obviously Rossi left, a lot of big big names and big characters left. Lorenzo, Pedroza, Cal, uh, Dovi, if you like, as well. A lot of guys were very popular. We, and then we've got the young guys coming through when we've had Mark injured, you know. But I think, you know, we're also talking about Marini being very good at presenting himself and talking about the sport. There's other young guys as well who I think will grow into their position as they as they sort of advance to you know mid to late twenties. Guys, I mean Jack's always always good and entertaining, isn't he? Let's hope he's he's unleashed a bit more at Red Bull than he was at Ducati. I think they kept him on a bit of a, a tighter leash <laughs> than uh, than perhaps he had at Pramac, where he was given more freedom and was uh, was uh, yeah a very entertaining guy to talk to always. So let's hope that Jack sort of you know, gets the results and puts KTM up there as well. And things are close. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, let's hope that Mark, you know, Mark is the big name at the moment that's still in the sport. And, you know, we're talking about documentaries and things. Mark's got that all in, isn't he, on Amazon Prime, which is a fantastic watch for anyone. I only saw it recently and watched all of them almost in one go. And, uh, you know, that that's that's a great series. And Peter, it's, um, Peter, Peter. Uh, yeah, yeah, breaking up massively there. Uh, <laughs> so oh, mi- missed missed all of that last bit. Your, your Wi-Fi's been a bit dodgy. Oh God! Oh God! All right, I'm on, I'm on a cable that's... actually. But yeah. 
Oh dear, yeah, stop talking, Pete. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dump, dump the visual for a minute. Well, let, let, let me come off. Let me come off the back of Pete. What Pete had to say there, of course, that, that Dorna have been quite clever in the fact they've covered off the electric stream with uh, Moto E. Yeah, you yeah. Know, the World Cup of Moto E. So, so instead of something being developed independently somewhere else by someone else, some other promoters, some other series. Dorna have got that option that's coming on at the moment. The batteries are too heavy, too 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 weighty, don't last long enough, so they don't give us what we want as far as a Grand Prix is concerned. That's why it's called a World Cup. Um, but the fact is, is the development is going on to the side, but it's under the wing of Dorna, so they've still got that option, which is quite clever. I think politically, it's very very clever. I mean, engineering wise, it's clever. And with Ducati coming in this year to take over the Moto E um, single manufacturer uh, tag. Going to be pretty good. It certainly will and be. Well, look, um, we've rapidly come to the end there. If you could hear me. Oh, Pete, me? Pete, shut up, Pete. Just shut up, Pete. No. <laughs> <laughs> that Can't you tell I'm rounding test, off? That first Moto E test is going on as we speak. So it was a very uh, a timely uh, uh, of Keith to mention this. So I'll just tell you that, uh, yeah, they set a new lap record, Moto E lap record on day two. So it is quicker, but uh, but not by much. Okay. Oh, and, right. it, and it's in the World Championship this year. I'll just say that. It's gone from a World Cup to a World uh, Championship for, for this year. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. It's, Let it, it, but it but it's not a Grand Prix, yeah, is it? I, uh, no, 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 no. No. But it but they changed the name from as you say, from World Cup, I think for this year, it gets to be a world championship. So there we are. Not that you'll notice okay. the difference All on right. track. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we should maybe we should talk about Moto E more this year. I know I know Keith would love that. <laughs> <laughs> right we've hit an hour we've hit an hour pete's wi-fi's going here then everywhere so we're going to end the show sorry if we didn't get to your question there are still some more i've got them on on the system we'll just roll them over to next week so dean kieran paul i see all your questions uh they will be answered don't you worry uh, and if you want to get your question in as well uh, you can do so the email is podcast at crash.net send us a 30 second voice note leave your name and where you're from and you will be played out on the show equally if you just want to send us a question in the written form you can send it to that same email address or just send it to uh, our crash motor gp social media channels or on the youtube comments uh, but that is it for today's show uh, finally next week we'll actually have some action to talk about after the t- after the final pre-season test so looking forward to that but in the meantime uh, make sure you tune in across crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week and as i say we'll be back with you next week questions Leave them in all the usual ways. And uh, importantly, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially Apple and Spotify. We shall see you right back here next week. From myself, Harry Benjamin, from Pete McLaren, and from MotoGP reigning world champion, Keith Ewan. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.